What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here with another five preview for you guys right here live on YouTube. And we got the Battle of the Tigers, and it is the number 22 Auburn Tigers traveling to Death Valley to take on the LSU Tigers. 8 p.m. Central Time kickoff, man. It is going to be right in the middle of prime time. It's going to be a late night in Baton Rouge, live on ESPN. And the LSU Tigers are three-and-a-half-point favorites over the higher-ranked Auburn Tigers. Um, and man, this is such a huge SEC West matchup. And for me, it really serves as a potential SEC elimination matchup for the season because if these two teams want to make any sort of run in the West, which is absolutely loaded with Texas A&M, Arkansas emerging, Ole Miss is a top 13 team in the country, and then, of course, the pinnacle is the Alabama Crimson Tide. These teams have to win this game. So whoever loses this game could pretty much chalk it up as to being out of the SEC West race while the winner is going to have all the momentum in the world to go into this SEC gauntlet that is ahead for both of these teams. LSU got their first SEC win of the year last week and Mississippi State escaped a very close game. Auburn, this serves as their SEC matchup in Death Valley, which is going to be rocking this Saturday night. Now, for storylines, there's plenty. LSU comes off, comes into this matchup, one loss, but they've responded very well since their week one loss to UCLA. And Cocho and the Tigers are looking to start 2-0 in the SEC, which many people probably would not have predicted based on that week one result in UCLA. And this this game right now really could go a long way in securing Cocho's job security and, like I said, the momentum of this LSU team moving forward into the season. Now, for Auburn, they're also coming in at 3-1. and one. They suffered that loss to Penn State and Happy Valley, and they really had a struggle win last week against Georgia State. And the storylines on Auburn's side is really endless. I mean, from Harson firing the wide receiving coach just out of the blue after the Georgia State game to TJ Finley's potential revenge game this weekend against LSU after taking over for Bo Nix in the second half against Georgia State and leading the Tigers on a game-winning touchdown drive to end that game. Now, the other storyline, it's always going to be a storyline in this game until the streak ends. The Tigers are looking for their first win in Death Valley since 1999. Just to put it in perspective for you guys, I was two years. I, I yeah, I, I was I was actually I was two years old, about to turn three when that game occurred in 1999. That shows you how long it's been. LSU has just found a way to beat Auburn consistently when they visit Death Valley, and man, an eight o'clock primetime matchup with quarterback questions and a new head coach. It is going to be an absolutely wild Saturday night in Death Valley. Now. Auburn dominated this game last season, but LSU has won three of the last four matchups while the while the Tigers from Baton Rouge and LSU lead this overall series 31 to 23 with one tile that's been defined by huge moments, big storylines, even more important games. And this game always seems to have something wild or crazy happen. And I cannot wait for Saturday night at eight o'clock. Now, the keys for the game, man. Let's start with the Auburn Tigers. It should be simple, especially with the questions surrounding the quarterback spot with all the uncertainty, the drama, the inconsistency. 
the Tigers have to run the football against LSU, which has sh- which has shown some weaknesses at times against the run, especially in that UCLA game. Now they've they've shown that running the ball is their strength because last last week when it sputtered, Tank Bixby might have had one of his worst games um, in an Auburn uniform when healthy last week, and Hunter really had to take over down the stretch. But when they're not going, this Auburn offense really sputters and struggles if they become one-dimensional. They've run for 257 yards per game thus far, and they have to try to find a way to replicate that this weekend. Bigsby's up over 400 yards already, averaging over six yards per carry and four rushing touchdowns, while Hunter, the true freshman out of nowhere, 382 yards on the ground. He's still averaging over 10 yards per carry and two rushing touchdowns. They have to be huge factors against this LSU defense. If I'm Brian Harson and Mike Bobo, th- these two guys have to have probably 40 carries combined. I would say 40 to 45 carries minimum, maybe even 50, depending on how the quarterbacks look. I'm going to let you guys know one stat. I said this at the Penn State game, and Auburn fans roasted me for it, and I ended up being right about it. If you pass the ball more than you run the ball this weekend, Auburn is going to lose this game. Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter should be the sole of the primary focus of the offense until you get the quarterbacks comfortable in this system. You have to run the football if you're Auburn this weekend. Now, I know many Auburn fans are more focused on this QB battle between Bo Nix and TJ Finley, which even adds more importance to the running game because the running game has to take some pressure off of these guys. Now, last week, Bo Nix went 40, had only 48% of his passes completed for 156 yards and zero touchdown drives led before TJ Finley came in and threw for 100 yards, a touchdown, and completed about 56% of his passes. Now, you know, as you guys know, I do write for Fly War Eagle. All signs are pointing toward Bo Nix starting and Finley being used if things go south. But the rumor and all the reports point toward Harson not officially announcing a starter till Saturday night. Now, Bo Nix did stay on the top of the depth chart they released early this week, but everyone understands that that could change at a moment's notice. So don't expect Harson to make an official announcement until the Tigers take that first drive um, on Saturday night. Now, I personally, I'll give you all my quick opinions. I know that's what this show's about. I personally would start Finley due to multiple reasons, but the main one is I think Harson could lose the locker room if he puts Nick's back into this QB one role after Finley showed what he showed last week under pressure last week, just under pressure. Cause that's where I think the biggest difference are with both of these guys. Finley graded out at a 92.1 um, pro football focus grade six for eight, 68 yards and a touchdown and was averaging over eight and a half yards per attempt under pressure. Nick's was graded at a 33.3, was two for nine for 10 yards and averaged 1.1 yards per attempt under pressure. Now, why do I bring out under pressure? Why do I bring up this under pressure stat? I'll get into it in my matchup to watch, but let's just say this LSU front seven is all, is pretty elite in terms of getting after the pass rusher. You want someone with pocket presence. You want someone who's big and can take command of that pocket. And I don't think anyone in the stadium this weekend on that Auburn team will be more motivated to go out and win this game than TJ Finley and all this narrative. And I said it, I appeared on Bryce Coons podcast, the crowded booth, go check it out on YouTube right now. He, you know, this narrative that 
TJ Finley is not better than Bo Nix because he had to transfer from LSU is outrageous. And it's a tough talk coming from a fan coming from a fan base of a school who's arguably their two best quarterbacks ever. Statistically, and Nick Marshall and Cam Newton were both transfers. And Nick Marshall wasn't even a quarterback until he went to junior college. So let's just ease up on the assumptions. And playing a school in LSU whose transfer quarterback Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State, and that's not that wasn't the mindset they used. It's just a lazy take on the on the on behalf of Auburn fans who think that way. Now, for me, the Auburn wide receivers are also going to be a huge part in this key factor because it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to their positional coach being fired four weeks into his tenure. Kobe Hudson and Shedrick Jackson have to be big. Demetrius Robertson is banged up, but he should get he should get some action this weekend if he can go. And the tight end position has been huge. John Samuel John Samuel Shanker has been big. Thirteen catches for him, and he was really him and Kobe Hudson were really the only two receivers to step up in that trip to Happy Valley against Penn State two weeks ago. Now, moving on to LSU, it should be obvious what LSU's keys are because they can't run the ball consistently and Auburn's weakness, which I said was their weakness against Penn state is the intermediate passes. The middle of the field is going to be wide open for Auburn unless, unless something changes on that defense and Max Johnson has the ability to sit in the pocket and distribute the ball to his playmakers. That should be the entire key to the game. Can Max Johnson be a distributor of the football to his playmakers on the outside? And can he target the middle of this Auburn defense? Can he put the linebackers and safeties in one-on-one matchups and this offense go make plays? That is the whole, that should be the whole key for anyone playing Auburn. And I said it in my Penn State Auburn preview. That's what they were going to do. And Jahan Dotson had a 10 catch night and Sean Clifford missed four passes. LSU has really struggled to run the ball and Max Johnson has stepped up in a big way, especially after you know, some people were critical of him week one, even though I think that was more the offensive line's fault. But he's completed over 64% of his passes for over 1,100 yards, 15 passing touchdowns, and only three picks. I told you all this offseason, I've been a Max Johnson fan since the end of last season. He should have been the starter, even if all the other quarterbacks in this LSU quarterback race to start the season were healthy, even over Brennan, even over Finley. Max Johnson, for me, fit this offense the best and fit this LSU team the best. The LSU's rushing game, only 80 yards per game, 2.9 yards per carry. Tyron Davis-Price has to be better. But the reason that LSU's key is the mid-range pass is because that's where Johnson's made his living. He has absolutely dominated the middle of the field in that intermediate range of like 10 to 19 yards, so right, right in there. Now, he can if he's able to pick this Auburn defense apart the same way Sean Clifford was, it's going to be a long day for the Tigers from Auburn. But 60% of his passes for 422 yards, six touchdowns, no turnovers for Max Johnson when throwing passes 10 to 19 yards down the field, and he grades over a 90 by Pro Football Focus Advanced Analytics. And in the middle of the field, he's 13 for 18, 242, and five touchdowns. That is between the numbers in the intermediate range, which is exactly where the weakness is for this Auburn defense. So that has to be the key for LSU because you want to use your strength against against their weakness, just like Auburn running the football is using their strength against LSU's weakness. Max Johnson has to be on point this weekend. And 
they have to utilize this. Johnson has to be efficient. He has to avoid turnovers, and he has to be a distributor. Those are the three keys for Max Johnson in this LSU offense this weekend. Now, the wide receiving core loaded, loaded in Baton Rouge down there, and they've had a few moving pieces early because they had some youth in the room. But over the last few weeks, they've really established their top options coming into this weekend. You look at Kayshawn Boutte. He is the X factor for me. This weekend, Kayshawn Boutte is going to be the Jahan Dotson for LSU. He needs to be used all over the field. They need to put him in the slot. They need to put him outside. They need to put him, they need to play, make him the, use him in the backfield. I don't care. Kayshawn Boutte needs to be all over the field for LSU. Always looking to put him in a one-on-one matchup with a, with a linebacker or safety and or a slot corner. Because outside of Roger McCreary, there is not a bona fide a defensive back for Auburn. He has to be a key factor for this LSU offense. 24 catches, 300 yards, eight receiving touchdowns. Man, this guy is a touchdown machine. And he has been targeted double the amount of times any other LSU receiver has. He has 34 targets this year, second place on that list, only 16. And real quick, I know Roger McCreary has only played seven snaps in the slot this year. He has to travel with Boutte if I'm Derek Mason with Auburn. Smoke Monday gets smoked all the time in one-on-one coverage, and Boutte is too athletic for him. Zion Puckett could be an option. He played pretty well last week. But for me, Roger McCreary has to be face-to-face with Kayshawn Boutte consistently this weekend. Now, freshmen Brian Thompson Jr. and Deion Smith have been huge breakout guys for LSU this week. And for me, I think they're going to play big roles this weekend. They've had fifth, they combined, they've had 15 catches over 300 yards and four touchdowns. And then Trey Palmer is another guy you should watch out for. Over two touchdowns already, 130, 11 catches. Max Johnson has done an excellent job of spreading the ball around and getting multiple guys involved in this offense. So that's going to be the key for LSU. Now, for the matchup to watch, I talked about under pressure for Knicks and Finley, why I thought Finley should start this week. The matchup to watch is the Auburn offensive line against the LSU defensive line. This is going to be the matchup for me that ultimately determines who wins this game. If Auburn, if, if Auburn cannot protect the quarterback and the rushing game stalls like it did at times last week, LSU is running away with this game. But if the quarterbacks can get a little bit comfortable in the pocket and Tank Bigsby and Jark West Hunter can explode, Auburn has an amazing chance to pull the upset and probably will. Now, this LSU defensive front has done an outstanding job getting after the quarterback. They lead the SEC right now in sacks with a whopping 18 sacks in only four games. They also have 45 pressures in the first four games of the season. This this, this front seven gets after the quarterback. They have the, they have the SEC leader in sacks. B.J. Ojolari, five sacks in four games, has been a menace off the edge. And then Andre Anthony and Mason Smith also rank in the top five in the SEC with four sacks for Anthony and three sacks for Smith, respectively. I fully expect the Tigers to bring the pressure all night long. I think a matchup like this will allow defensive coordinator Durante Jones to be extremely creative in how he brings pressure and how he can scheme it up in the back end with his very talented secondary. Now, I believe Derek Stingley is out for this game based on all the reports I've seen, but Elias Ricks is still there. Flott's played out outstanding. Burns has played outstanding. The LSU's defensive backs are one of the deepest in the country. So I'm not worried about that, but 
really and truly Georgia State out of all the teams offers played is crazy. I'm saying this. Georgia State gave the the I guess the blueprint on how to stop Auburn. You load the box and you make those receivers on the outside have to go make plays one on one and they weren't able to do it last week. And that's not a great sign because this LSU defense is is light is in a whole nother class than what that Georgia State defense was. I think that's going to be similar to what we see this year in, in this LSU game. They're going to load the box and say, okay, can those receivers on the outside, can the Kobe Hudson's, can the Demetrius Robertson's, can the, the Shankers, can they go make plays on the outside for their quarterback? And the worst thing for Auburn would be if LSU gets pressure with four, it's going to be such a long night. You're going to have to force LSU to blitz and bring someone from coverage down because if you let them sit back – and base coverage and rush four, it's going to be a brutal night in Baton Rouge for Auburn. Now, for the offensive line for Auburn, it's all about consistency for me. There are times where this unit looks legit, one of the best in the SEC. They'll be paving ways for Jarquez Hunter, paving ways for Tank Bigsby, giving Bo Nixon, you know, TJ Finley time to throw the football. But then there's other times where they can't block a soul, man. They, they just let everything go by. They'll whiff on people. The, Bo Nix will be running for his life. Bigsby last week had someone meet him at the line of scrimmage every single time he took the ball just about. He got hit at the line of scrimmage immediately. And for me, Brodarius Ham has arguably been the most improved player for Auburn. Last last year, he was very weak in pass rush. Man, Georgia, that Georgia game was brutal for Bradarius Ham. But this year, he's the highest graded offensive lineman on the team. Only player to grade above a 70.0 in pass block in, in just pure blocking grades. Bradarius Ham deserves all the credit. Bradarius Ham deserves all the credit in the world, man. He has zero sacks allowed, zero hits on the quarterback, and only has allowed four pressures all season. Been playing lights out. The issue, though, comes up on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Austin Troxel has been getting just abused by everybody. Austin Troxel has to step his game up because if you let these edge rushers for LSU just tear you up, there is nothing you can do against this defense. And then also Brandon Council in the run blocking grade and Troxel both have grades under 50 in terms of advanced and analytic run blocking grades. They have been some of the lowest graded run blockers in the SEC this season. That cannot happen this weekend. You are going to have to win the line of scrimmage if you're Auburn. The Auburn offensive line has to be up to the task on Saturday night. Because for me, it doesn't matter. You can throw Demetrius Davis out there. You can throw TJ Finley, Bo Nix. Man, Brian Harson himself can go out there at quarterback. If the Auburn offensive line doesn't play well, they can't win this game. The, this matchup is of utmost importance. If LSU can keep the quarterbacks uncomfortable, this offense will not be able to move the ball, and LSU wins this one convincingly. But if Auburn can win the line of scrimmage, things could get very interesting in Death Valley. What I mean is it could get 1999 inter- interesting, and Auburn can pull pull off the big win in Death Valley and really set themselves up if the offensive line can play well. Now, for predictions, man, you know, I picked I, – I, I hardly ever – you know, on this podcast, we only, we've covered a lot of games, and, you know, I got a lot of flack for not picking Auburn against Penn State, man. And a bunch of Auburn fans, you know, just ripped ripped everything and even have one apologize after, you know, uh, after Penn State won. But for me, man, I got to stay unbiased here on this show. And for me, due to it, 
everything has to go right for Auburn to win this weekend. Tank Bigsby has to have a huge game. Jark West Hunter has to be great in his in his role. Bo Nix and TJ Finley, whoever plays, has to be lights out. The offensive line has to play well. The secondary's got to solve their issue. Owen Papo's banged up. Demetrius Robertson's banged up at wide receiver. For me, there's too many things going wrong for Auburn right now to pull off this big win. I just think Max Johnson has a huge game this weekend, and I think LSU pulls out a close game. I think it – so this game at halftime, I will not be surprised, resembles the 2019 game last time Auburn was in Baton Rouge where it was just a low-scoring physical game. Both offenses struggled at times, and it's just a back-and-forth grind-out game. I just think – I trust Max Johnson to make a play down the stretch more than I trust Knicks or Finley. I have the LSU Tigers winning 21 21- to 17, a four-point win for the LSU because I just think Auburn goes down, kicks a field goal. They've struggled in the red zone at times, and I think LSU is able to turn those red zone trips into points, and I just think LSU has a more explosive ability in the past game, and I think they just make one more play than the Auburn Tigers. So I got LSU winning the Battle of the Tigers 21-17. Guys, if you're a huge Big 10 undefeated matchup Friday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, live on FS1. We got the fifth-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes taking on the Maryland Terrapins on a huge road match in a huge road matchup for the Hawkeyes. They're three and a half point favorites as I'm recording. And this one not only could shake up the Big Ten race, but could play a major role in the college football playoff race moving forward if the Hawkeyes drop a game or if they even make a huge road statement taking on the Terrapins, which are being led by Talia Tagovailoa, who has been having a, one of the, probably the most quiet, outstanding years, um, outstanding seasons this season thus far. But for the storylines, man, we got the Hawkeyes coming in at 4-0, and finding themselves in the top five in the country, which really has shocked a lot of people. Kirk Ferentz has this team playing lights out, big wins over Iowa State and Indiana already. But last week, the Hawkeyes have a a few question marks from national media and fans, especially after not looking that impressive against Colorado State. But I expect a heavy dose of smash mouth football this weekend combined with outstanding defense, which is the Hawkeyes all year. But on the flip side, we have the Terrapins entering this game at 4-0. Their style is completely different as Talia Tagovailoa has put on a clinic in terms of passing the ball down the field. Hit, uh, the Terrapins and Mike Loxley have a chance to get a real statement win this Friday night. And if they can do it, they become an immediate factor in terms of this Big Ten title race, which is a huge improvement from where this program was just a few short seasons ago. Now, in terms of the keys for the game, let's start with the Hawkeyes since, you know, they are the favorites right now. It's obvious. Based on the first few weeks, the, the, the game plan is obvious for the Hawkeyes, and if they can execute this game plan to a T, they will win this game, and that's run the football, keep your defense fresh, keep your defense off the field as much as possible, and keep the pressure off of quarterback Spencer Petrus. This has been the formula all season long thus far. Tyler Goodson, that's who it starts with, man. This kid has shown that he can be an absolute workhorse for this offense, and he's going to be the X factor this weekend because he's going to try to be the one to put some pressures on this Terrapins defense, which is giving up over 320 yards per game. 
Goodson in this forest ran for over 360 on the ground, averaging almost five yards per carry and has five rushing touchdowns. This week, this Friday, though, he has to be consistent. He has to be explosive. He has to run for 100 to 150 yards because this offense cannot become one-dimensional. And it's already been shown that the offense goes as Goodson goes. If he's off on one weekend, then this Hawkeye offense really suffers. So he has to show up this weekend. And also something that surprised me, the Hawkeyes, one of their main issues has been a lack of depth and production at the running back spot. Goodson has over 80 carries this season, and the main backup, Ivory Kelly Martin, only has 24 total touches this season, 91 yards, 3.8 average, and Gavin Williams has only touched the ball seven times for 22 yards. I think they need to try to get a little bit better rotation and try to get some more production out of these backup running backs because Goodson, as great of a workhorse as he is, he has to have a little bit of relief, and when he goes off the field, the Hawkeyes still have to move the ball down the field. But once that running game gets going, it is up to Petrus to really to really move this offense along. And he's going to have the most pressure that I think he's been under all season on him because the Terrapins are going to try to make this game a shootout. They are going to try to push the ball down the field, create explosive plays. And this weekend, Spencer Petras has to have one of his best games, and he has to show that he can also generate some explosive plays. He has 648, uh, six, 684 passing yards, four touchdowns, an interception, and a rushing touchdown thus far. But an underrated aspect of his game has been the deep ball. He's been one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the country in deep ball passing. He has a 94.6 PFF passing grade on deep balls, but only 12% of his passes come from deep balls, which is the main issue. But he's shown that he can do it in limited capacity. Can he show this weekend that when forced to, he can still deliver on those passes? Three touchdowns, no interceptions when throwing those deep balls as well. He showed that he can keep the ball out of harm's way by making some explosive plays. His ability to make throws downfield and avoid turnovers is going to be the other key for the Hawkeyes if they want to get a huge road win this Friday night. The key, All the keys boil down to this. The Hawkeyes have to control the pace of the game. They have to limit the possessions of this Maryland offense, which is so explosive. And if they can do that, they can wear down this Terrapins defense, which really depth isn't their strength, especially on the front seven. Those are the keys for the Hawkeyes if they want to get a big win this Friday night and really put on a show in primetime for the whole country to watch on FS1. Now, the keys for the Terrapins, man, it's obvious what they do best. So why change anything? Let Talia Tagovailoa do what he does, throw the ball around the yard, distribute the ball to his playmakers, and let them go make plays against this Iowa secondary. Now, the passing offense has been absolutely electric this season. 350 yards per game plus through the air um, averaging right now for the Terrapins. And it all starts with Tagovailoa taking his game to the next level. 75.5% completion percentage, which is ridiculous for how often they pass the ball. They're over 1,300 yards passing, 10 passing touchdowns, only one turnover, and he's averaging over 10 yards per attempt. He grades out easily as one of the best quarterbacks in the country, all this talk about Matt Corral and Bryce Young, 
Talia Tagovailoa is putting together the quietest Heisman campaign in the country right now, and he has a chance to have a huge Heisman moment against a top five prom, which their strength is the secondary, which we'll talk about later in this episode. But the deep ball, as much as you know, I just talked about Spencer Spencer Petras, you know, making a being able to push the ball down the field. Nobody does it better than Tagovailoa this season. A 98.2 passing grade and passes 20-plus yards down the field this season, and that leads to country. I don't think you'll understand a 98.2 grade in deep ball passing is just almost unheard of. Over 400 yards passing, two touchdowns, and he's completing 63% of those deep ball passes, which is just an elite average on, on, on those type of passes. If he can replicate his early season success, the Terrapins are absolutely going to find a way to win this game. And probably the biggest threat to the back end of this Hawkeyes defense that the Hawkeyes have faced faced all season long. Now, the offensive line will quietly be a key this weekend for the Terrapins because they have to protect Tagovailoa and give him a clean pocket and give him time to put on an electric show this Friday night. And the offensive line has played well. I'll give them that. Four sacks, 13 hurries, and only 19 pressures allowed over the first four games. But this defensive line for Iowa is the best that they have seen all season. Spencer Anderson and Jalen Duncan at the tackle spot have been the anchors of this offensive line and are the, are the highest-graded offensive linemen in terms of pass-blocking grade on this Terrapins front, um, on this Terrapins offensive line. So that's going to be the key for them. So it's a stylistic matchup of – you know, a, a spread offense that wants to push the ball down the field against a smash mouth play action type team in Iowa. Now, the matchup to watch for me is going to be strength versus strength. It's going to be the Maryland wide receiving core against this stout, opportunistic Iowa defensive back group because something has to give. And this is going to probably be the largest factor in determining who continues their undefeated run through this season. Now, the Terrapins passing game has carried this team, like I said, but these wide receivers this weekend face one of their toughest matchups, and they're going to have to try to find a way to create explosive plays get separation, and that's going to be huge for winning this game this weekend. Dante Dimas has been damn near unstoppable for the Terrapins, and then Raheem Jarrett in the slot has been an outstanding slot guy for this Terrapins offense offense as well. Dimas, 24 catches, almost 500 yards and three touchdowns, averaging almost 20 yards per catch. Jarrett, 17 for 265 and three touchdowns while averaging over 15 yards per catch. The X factor so the quiet, the quiet, productive wide receiver is Sean Jones. He's a wide receiver this weekend that should see some opportunities due to these other guys getting a lot of attention from this Iowa secondary. He should get some matchup opportunities where he can go take advantage. And if Deshaun Jones has a big game this weekend, don't be surprised because he's quietly a huge factor for this for this Maryland offense now. On the other side of the football, though, these Iowa DBs have played some outstanding football this season, and they have really carried this team at times this year, only allowing 187 passing yards per game and holding opponents under 55% completion percentage and averaging almost two interceptions per game just about. And this DB unit, 
Matt Hankins and Riley Moss have been absolutely everywhere for this Hawkeyes defense. And they've been two of the highest graded DBs in the country. Guys allowed a touchdown and they've combined for four interceptions, five pass breakups and two defensive touchdowns, both by Moss, which further shows his playmaking ability on the back end of this defense. Now, the safety spot is going to be one to watch this Friday night because Kavion Merriweather and Jack Corner are going to be tasked with probably the biggest, the biggest test this weekend because Jared in the slot, man, 97% of his snaps come in the slot, is going to be something to watch against these guys. And the Terrapins defense is not afraid to attack deep over the middle, so the safeties are going to have to be playing at an elite level. Now, the Hawkeyes have to show the same playmaking ability and same execution that they have over the first four games of the season. But if these guys, if these Terrapin wide receivers get loose this weekend, they could shock the country this Friday night. Now, for my official predictions, man, this is going to be so tough because I'm really torn on this game. This is going to be one of the toughest games I have to predict this weekend. But Due to the road matchup, due to the electric atmosphere on Friday night, and due to the matchup nightmare that I think Maryland can be for Iowa, I'm going with the Terrapins in a huge top five upset, 28-23 over the Iowa Hawkeyes. I think Maryland is just a little bit too explosive, and Talia Tagovailoa is not going to turn the ball over against this defense, and the Terrapins are going to be able to pull out a close five-point win. 28-23 over the Hawkeyes in Maryland this weekend on Friday night. So, guys, another huge ranked matchup here between Baylor and Oklahoma State, 6 p.m. Central Time, live on ESPN2 on Saturday night. If you're new, smash that subscribe button real quick. And we got got the Cowboys favorited by three and a half points this Saturday night. And – Right now, you're looking at this game as possibly the biggest Big 12 game of the year thus far. And these two teams are really trying to establish themselves as contenders for that Big 12 title this year in a huge undefeated matchup. Stillwater is going to be rocking this weekend, and I absolutely cannot wait to catch this game on Saturday night. Now, for storylines... Oklahoma State comes into this matchup after a big win against number 25 Kansas State in Stillwater last weekend. And this team from week one to now has progressively improved each and every week throughout the season. Mike Gundy and the Cowboys have finally become a dark horse for that Big 12 championship this year. And a win this weekend, especially a convincing one, could have this team in the top 15 come Sunday afternoon. Now, on the flip side, Baylor comes into this matchup already doubling their win total from last season. And this team this year is finally what a lot of people thought we were going to see under Dave Aranda when he left LSU and took this Baylor head coaching job to take over for Matt Rule. Now, they're coming off a huge upset win over number 14, Iowa State. And if they win this weekend, has two huge conference rank wins. Baylor takes a huge step forward in contending for that Big 12 title game appearance in in Arlington, which they were there just a a few years back. So this team knows what it takes to get there, and they absolutely are on a mission. And getting a big win this weekend will take a huge step forward 
Now, Oklahoma State has the advantage in this series, 21-18, to and won last year's matchup convincingly. But this series is 2-2 two and two in the last four games, each team winning in each location. So o- Oklahoma State has won in Stillwater. They won in Waco. And uh, same for Baylor, you know, vice versa. So this series is always competitive. It's very evenly matched. And we are going to see two great teams go at it on Saturday night. Now, the keys for the game. Let's let's go ahead and get to these. We're going to start with Oklahoma State. And, man, the key for them is kind of complicated. And really and truly, if you want to be honest, after, after the type of season they've had, the key should be to stay healthy because the injury bug picks a, picks a team every year to play. This Oklahoma State team has been ravaged by injuries throughout the first four games. So they have to try to stay healthy. But the number one key for me is to keep this offense balanced. Due to a bunch of players having to step up that you didn't think were going to have to be in certain roles, you have to keep the pressure off of them. You can't put the pressure on Sanders. You can't put the pressure on the running game, the offense line. You just have to be balanced. Do almost everything you can to keep that Baylor defense off balance and at the same time keep Dave Aranda from getting in his groove because once he gets in his groove, he's one of the best defensive play callers in the country. Now, the key for, for the reason this is also the key for Oklahoma State is they have shown that they can win in so many different ways. They can rely on the run game. They can rely on the defense. They can rely on Sanders like they did last week. They have the ability to win a game in – multiple different ways, which is what makes them such a tough matchup for any team they have on the schedule moving forward. And for me, this key all starts with the leader of this offense, Spencer Sanders. And the best way to put this is which version of him are we going to get this weekend? That's the, that's the main key with him. If we get one of the games where he's in his groove, in his rhythm, and he's confident, Oklahoma State it's going to be a tough matchup for any any team they come up against. But if he's on one of those off days, this entire team seems to fall apart. So which Sanders are we getting this weekend in Stillwater in a huge ranked matchup? Now, this season, he's passed for 600 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, completing about 58% of his passes, has two rushing touchdowns and 120 yards rushing. He's been best when he has a clean pocket. But he's been dangerously good over the middle in that intermediate passing game range. So, you know, 10 to 19 yards down the field, he's completing over 70% of his passes, averaging 14 yards a completion, along with three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 92.2 pro football focus passing grade. He's been elite at those mid-range passes in between the numbers. And if he can pick this Baylor defense apart and get some favorable matchups over the middle in that intermediate range, this Oklahoma State offense is going to be tough to stop. Now, Sanders has to limit his turnovers and be dynamic with his legs due to the one, because that's when this offense is functioning at its highest. And two, there's so many injuries at that running back position, which moving to that, L.D. Brown, Dominic Richardson, uh, Desmond Jackson all have missed time this year. And luckily, Utah State transfer Jalen Warren has stepped up in a big way for this Oklahoma State team. Four, almost 400 yards rushing, four touchdowns, and has really helped this offense stay afloat 
throughout the revolving door at running back. So look for Warren to be a key this weekend. But going into this game, just a quick a, a quick update. Based on the reports as I'm recording, LD Brown is going to be out for a few more weeks. But Dominic Richardson could be back this weekend and could serve a kind of a backup role, a rotational role this weekend against Baylor. He's only had 11 carries all season. But these fans down there in Stillwater really like this kid's potential. So he's someone to look out for. Now, to keep it balanced, you're going to have to throw the ball. The wide receiving core has also been banged up. Um, Brennan Presley, Rashad Owens have have been the only two receivers to appear in every game this season. That shows you how just inconsistent this rotation has been at wide receiver for Oklahoma State. Tay Martin is the guy to watch if he's fully healthy. He's been the number one target for Sanders all season, 15 catches over 200 yards and two receiving touchdowns. But I want you guys to keep an eye on Brennan Presley and Jaden Bray. I think Bray could be the X factor for this offense because of how much of a deep threat he is. 136 yards receiving, and he's averaging over 22 yards per catch. And for Presley, he's more of that mid-range guy with 11 catches, 178. He's averaging 16 yards per catch. But watch out for Bray. Bray is the explosive play guy, so he could be someone to look out for if this offense gets moving and Sanders is able to open it up down the field due to that run game. Now for Baylor, it is clear what they have to do. The key is the rushing attack. They have the number six rushing attack in the country right now, averaging over 270 yards per game. And what that does is open up the play-action game for Jerry Bohannon, which has been a huge strength for this Bears offense. Now, the rushing game starts with Abram Smith, but the Bears have three different running backs over averaging over seven yards per carry. They've also rushed for 12 rushing touchdowns over the first four games of the season. Abram Smith, 413 yards rushing, averaging 7.2 yards a carry and five touchdowns. Treston Ebner, 348, seven yards per carry. And then Tay McWilliams, averaging 13 yards per carry and two touchdowns. All three of those guys are going to see some solid action this weekend, but look for a heavy dose of Abram Smith this weekend. Now, Jerry Bohannon also cannot be overlooked with his legs. When things break down, he can go make a play, and he has to bring that dynamic playmaking ability to this weekend due to the fact that you're going to see that with Sanders on the other side. He's going to have to be able to match that and make those plays that might not be there as the pocket collapses. No one gets open. If he can just get a few first downs here or there like that or go find a way to make a play, Bohannon becomes an even bigger factor. He's got four rushing touchdowns already this season. Now, looking at a breakdown, just where does this team like to attack? They utilize the outside run perfectly. They, they run outside at an off-tackle, off, off, off the tight end spot at a high level. The edge players for Oklahoma State cannot let these running backs get loose because it's going to be a long night if so. Running off the edge of the offensive line, the, this team put up, puts up 441 rushing yards, averaging over nine yards per carry, five rushing touchdowns, and they have 15 runs of 10-plus yards off the edge of that offensive line, it has been outstanding for Baylor. That is the recipe for success is to get outside and test the edge of whatever defense they're going up against. Now, 
The rushing attack also serves as a way to set up Bohannon for the play action. That's where he thrives. That's where he's most comfortable. And that's where he likes to take his deep shots and push the ball down the field and stretch the, and stretch the, and stretch the defense. Now, for play action, he completes over 77% of his passes, 480 yards, five passing touchdowns, and an 87.2 passer passer rating. It's 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 his, by far his top concept in this offense. So Baylor's offense is at its best when it can run the ball, it's moving the chains, and they can open up the play action off of that. They they're the Baylor's ideal game is to run the ball. Almost the whole game, control the control the pace of the game, control the line of scrimmage, and then run play action 45-50% of their pass plays. That's that that would be the perfect recipe for Dave Aranda and this Baylor team this weekend. So that's why that's the key for the Bears offense. Now, the matchup to watch is easy. Every time there's a strength versus strength matchup, I love to pick it because that's usually going to determine who comes out with this game. This weekend is the Baylor offensive line against the front seven for Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State has to try to slow down this run game for one, while Baylor is going to depend on the rushing attack to open up their offense and pull off this huge road upset. Now, they're also going to have to protect Bohannon because he's not great against the uh, under pressure and against a strong pass rush. They got to make him comfortable in the pocket and allow him to get those play action deep shots off because that is the key for Baylor winning this game. Now, the Baylor offensive line for me has been one of the most impressive units in the country and probably one of the biggest changes from the abysmal 2020 season to now that they've had. Every offensive lineman on this starting offensive line has a 70 or higher total blocking grade for the season. They have four offensive linemen with a grade above an 85 in pass blocking grades, and two of those are above 90 top five in the country at their respective positions. Now, Connor Galvin, Grant Miller, and Gavin Byers are the leaders of this unit, but Jacob Gall and Xavier Newman-Johnson are no scrubs. Those five guys are the key to this matchup. They've only given up three sacks, seven hurries, and nine pressures over the first uh, four games of the season. That is impressive regardless who you play. If this offensive line can control the line of scrimmage again, protect Bohannon, and pave some rushing lanes for those explosive set of running backs, Baylor is going to be a tough team to knock off in Stillwater this weekend. But on the flip side, this Cowboys defense even though they've had to fight injury, you look at the Trace Ford and Trace Sterling injury, both out potentially for the season. There's there's some real playmakers still on this front seven that are going to be players to watch this weekend. The Cowboys defense has done a great job getting after the quarterback. 17 sacks, 26 quarterback hits, and 67 pressures over the first four games of the season. It starts with Devin Harper at linebacker. This guy is all over the field, 18 tackles, two sacks, and it's the highest-graded pass rusher on this team for the season. And then off the edge, Brock Martin, Tyler Lacey, and Ben Kopinski have been absolute forces off the edge for this Cowboys front seven. They've combined for six sacks, and they're going to have to, one, control the edge, because that's, that's where Baylor likes to run, and two, they're going to have to get after the quarterback because that is the whole way to stop this Baylor offense. Now, the rushing defense has been top 20 in the country for the Cowboys defense. 
It starts with the interior of the of the defensive line. Sione Asi and Jaden Jernigan both rank as the top run defenders on this team at defensive tackle. And then it all ends with Malcolm Rodriguez, who is carrying this defense. He's one of the leaders of this defense for the past few seasons, 43 tackles already. And he's the X factor at linebacker. And he's going to be all over the field and be, he's the quarterback of the defense for this Oklahoma state team. So look for Rodriguez to have a huge game. Now for my predictions, man, this, okay, we've covered a lot of games, and I, I, y'all can see that, but this might be the hardest one I've had to pick. I've went back and forth all day on this one. Part of me wants to give it to Oklahoma State because it's in Stillwater, and that defense, top 20 in the country in rushing defense, and then the other part of me thinks Bo Hannon and that offense is just too explosive for Baylor. Now, this one is going to be close. Either way, I don't. I don't think this game. I don't. I would never bet this game would ever be be a blowout anywhere. So probably bet the you know potentially bet the under on that. But for me, I just have so much faith in this offense right now for Baylor, especially that running attack. I think they have the rotational pieces to really make an impact. I think injuries are catching up with Oklahoma State, and so for me. In a close one, and I wouldn't be surprised either way it went, but for a close one here, I'm going Baylor 24, Oklahoma State 21, a three-point win for Dave Aranda in this Baylor team. But, man, this was the hardest game by far to pick. So, listen, comment your scores below. Comment your thoughts on the game. I love to chop it up with y'all in the comments. This was such an interesting game to preview, but I'm going to go Baylor by three this weekend, 24-21. In Stillwater, I'm so pumped for this game. I'm going to try to make it to a game at Stillwater later this year and next year. That's a stadium that has always been on my bucket list. So, listen, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, tuned in, man. Uh, you know, let me know if I can reach out to you because I'm going to be coming to Stillwater very soon. And same for Waco, Texas, man. I want to go see that new stadium, McLean, on the river. Um, you know, I had some family do some work down there. They said it's beautiful, so I want to come down there as well. But another huge SEC matchup this weekend, and it is going to impact the SEC West race in the biggest way possible. And we got the two favorites in that division matching up this weekend in Tuscaloosa, Bryant-Denny Stadium, Alabama, number one in the country, welcoming Ole Miss, number 12-ranked team in the country, into Bryant-Denny. Kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time, live on CBS. And the Crimson Tide are a 14-and-a-half-point favorite over the 12-ranked Rebels. And this is going to be probably one of the more hyped SEC matchups of the year, especially after last year's 63-48 to shootout in Oxford. And many are considering this game the biggest regular season test for the Crimson Tide all season. And so if the Crimson Tide pass this one, it will give them their second top 12 win of the season and really set them in the driver's seat for the SEC West crown this this, this season. Now, for storylines going into this game, the Crimson Tide come in, as I said, the number one ranked team in the country, and they're going to be looking to make a statement. It, it was kind of shocking. They went into Gainesville, escaped with a two-point win, but there's a media narrative and a fan narrative that in that game, they showed a lot of holes that some people think some teams such as Ole Miss can exploit. So I promise you Nick Saban and this team are going to be looking to make a statement win to say, 
That's y'all can say what y'all want, but we are here to stay at this top spot. Now, this is also going to be a perfect stage for Bryce Young to put on one of his Heisman moment performances. He's going up against potentially his biggest competition. This is a chance for Bryce Young to put to solidify himself as the favorite as we enter this midseason stretch in college football. Now, on the flip side, the Rebels are coming in at 3-0, coming off almost a perfectly p- placed bye week for them. To get two weeks to prepare to go into Tuscaloosa is huge for Lane Kiffin and this squad. And they're looking to pull off a huge upset to kick off their 2021 SEC gauntlet. And for me also, Lane Kiffin is looking to become the first a Saban assistant ever to beat Nick Saban. So and he he's a lot of people thought there was confident he could possibly do it last year. This year he's even got more hype behind him to do that. While Matt Corral, just similar like I talked about with Bryce Young, has a chance to solidify himself as a Heisman favorite with a huge win. And we've seen a bunch of people solidify their Heisman campaigns with big wins in Bryant Denny Stadium with upsets of Alabama. You look at you look at Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, all those guys, those performances in Bryant-Denny played a huge role in solidifying themselves as the SEC legends that they are. Now, the Crimson Tide have won the last five matchups with the Rebels, and only in, which is, you know, this is a crazy stat I didn't know. Ole Miss has only won four games against Alabama since 2000, and the Crimson Tide have historically dominated this series. 52 to 10 with two ties over the history of this matchup. So the Crimson Tide have a long and storied history in this rivalry. And right now they're looking to make it six in a row over the Rebels this weekend. Now for, let's get into our keys of the game. Um, the key for the Crimson Tide has been the same every time I've covered them. It's just to let Bryce Young be the distributor and get the ball to the playmakers on the outside and let them go make plays at open field because they their wide receivers should have the advantage against any DB on the field for the Rebels. Now, the, the Crimson Tide passing game has, has been extremely explosive this year and has really carried this team in the biggest, in the biggest moments that they've had thus far. They're averaging over 310 yards per game through the air over the first four games. And it's really due, especially in the second half against Florida, the run game still trying to find its rhythm after losing such a talented running back such as Najee Harris. They have a lot of talented running backs in that stable right now. But that running game has not really picked up as much steam as this passing attack has. So that's why it's also a key. It's what you do best right now. And on, and on the flip side of that, Bryce Young has lived up to every bit of the hype that he had coming into Tuscaloosa as the number one quarterback in the country. He's shown that he can win games. In, in, I guess, hyped SEC moments, you look at what he did at Gainesville against the top 15 team. And this year, he's already thrown for over 1,100 passing yards, 15 passing touchdowns, only one turnover, and he's completing over 72% of his passes throughout the first four games. It is an elite level of production for Bryce Young thus far. And he, and my biggest thing for him is he's looked poised to it all. I've never seen the moment look too big for Bryce Young this season. And so for me, he is going to be a key let, and I've said this, you know, as we covered some uh, Jackson state games this year and everything, he's just got to be Rajon Rondo. 
the equivalent of Rajon Rondo. I don't need you to go out there and put up a bunch of points by yourself and try to force things. I just need you to distribute the ball to the playmakers on the outside and let them make buckets. Let them go get touchdown. Let them go make plays. Don't turn the ball over. Be efficient and be smart with the football. That's all I need from Bryce Young this weekend. Let the wide receivers on the outside do your thing. And he's done that so well. This Bama offense to me has taken a huge step forward this season because Young has shown the ability to attack to attack all levels of the defense. It exposes your weaknesses wherever they may be. Oh, you're not great at mid-range passes. Well, guess what? He can throw those. You're not good at the short game. You don't you don't cover underneath routes well. He can abuse you there. And let's say you got all that covered. If you can't, if you're back into your defense is weak and you can get beat over the top, he has the arm talent to get it behind you. You're going to have a problem stopping this offense. This Rebels defense is going to be tested. Will they answer? Will they pass this test? You look at his short range numbers. 375 yards, six touchdowns, and 85% completion percentage on passes zero to nine yards. You go to medium, 10 to 19, 300 yards, two touchdowns, and his pro football focus rate is a 92.4, one of the best in the country. And then the deep ball, 20-plus yards down the field, 242 yards, four touchdowns. His one pick also came there, and he has a 91.3 pro football focus grade, one of the best marks in the country. This kid has done everything that's been asked of him and more, and he's going to be the key to see to, for this offense to move forward. Now, the wide receiving core for the Crimson Tide has been electric, especially when, for me, the most underrated transfer of this offseason was Jamison Williams from Ohio State. He has been a star these first four games. Him and John Mechie are easily the top two targets, and and these guys are going to be X-factors this weekend against this Rebels defense. 12 catches, 300 yards for Williams, three receiving touchdowns, and this kid is averaging almost 25 yards per catch. That is just a ridiculous number. He had two kick returns last week as well, so he's just – he is deadly fast. This kid has to be contained. And if Ole Miss just gives up a rash of explosive plays, it can get ugly in Bryant Denny this weekend. Now, Mechie, 24 catches, 240, and one receiving touchdown. He's just been consistent, and he's really done a great job. Williams has evolved into the deep threat, while Mechie's been kind of the safety net underneath guy that's going to catch those every down balls. They're a deadly duo, and Ole Miss is going to have to try to find a way to stop them. Now, another interesting spot is that tight end spot for Young in this passing attack. Bill O'Brien's offense has utilized tight ends in a variety of creative ways, and it really could be something to watch this weekend. Jalil Billingsley, six catches, 131, and two touchdowns, while Cameron Latou, 119, eight catches, and four receiving touchdowns. These guys are red zone threats, and they've also shown they can make explosive plays due to the defensive focus being elsewhere on this Alabama offense. So watch out for the tight ends. Then also look out for Jace McClellan coming out of the backfield. He already has three receiving touchdowns this season. It could be an interesting matchup nightmare for this Ole Miss defense if he gets matched up on a linebacker. So look out for McClellan as well. But moving on to Ole Miss here, the key for the Rebels, man, is to just let Matt Corral do what Matt Corral does. That's make plays, be a playmaker, and go be explosive. 
But at the same time, what Ole Miss can't do is be one-dimensional. They are going to have to keep that balanced approach and also uh, uh, do some things on the ground, which they did last year, which what which was what made that game so special, is that Ole Miss was able to score both on the ground and through the air. Now, Cor- Corral is probably the Hosman favorite right now at, the, at that number one spot, and kind of depending on what media source you use, but this is the perfect stage to put him as the clear leader as we hit that midseason stretch. But he's thrown for over a thousand yards, nine passing touchdowns, and five rushing touchdowns with zero with zero turnovers. It's an elite, uh, it's an elite level of production thus far in the season over three games. Now, the the things that Corral has to do this weekend: avoid turnovers, be efficient, and make plays outside the pocket. You have to put pressure on this Alabama defense by pushing the ball down the field, attack, attacking them in weak spots, and also just keeping them off balance. If you can do that as an offense, you have a shot to win this game. But the number one thing is you cannot turn the ball over. That If, if Ole Miss loses the turnover battle, it's going to be a long day for the Rebels. They cannot turn the ball over, and that's what ultimately cost them last year's game down the stretch. Now, the Ole Miss rushing game, I said they still have to be balanced, has multiple guys who can handle that lead role, and that's going to give them an advantage. That's exactly what Florida did down the stretch, is have three, three, four guys, including Emory Jones, which Matt Corral is also a threat on the ground, to go make plays and, and kind of stretch this Alabama defense, put the linebackers in uncomfortable spots. Jaron Ely, 190 in a touchdown. Paris has over 100 yards rushing, averaging over seven yards per carry. And Snoop Connor also has three rushing touchdowns. So any of these guys can be a feature back. They need to keep fresh bodies in there, and they need to try to create explosive running plays and a consistent rushing attack, just like Florida did a few weeks ago where they almost pulled the upset. Now the key is if they do this, Corral is much better equipped than Emory Jones was to take advantage of the loaded boxes and that rushing in in that rushing defense in that passing defense for the Crimson Tide once they start loading the box. He can get over the top in a way that Emory Jones could not. So that's gonna be that's why this matchup is so much more dangerous than what Alabama faced two weeks ago against Florida. Now, the offensive line for the Rebels is also going to be key because Alabama is going to come after Corral. They're going to try to make him uncomfortable in the pocket, force him out of the pocket, and force him into some uncomfortable positions. Now, they have to make sure Corral has time to push the ball down the field and make plays. The O-line for the Rebels has performed well this season, but they really haven't seen a defensive line that compares to what they're going to see this weekend in Bryant-Denny. They've only allowed three sacks, 11 hurries, and 19 pressures. But on the flip side, Bama has 14 sacks and 38 pressures over their first four games. Jeremy James at offensive tackle has by far been the best offensive lineman for the Rebels. He's the highest graded pass blocker on the Rebels' O-line. But the problem is the weak point for them is the middle. That center guard spot is not the strongest spot for this Rebels offensive line. And DJ Dell and Fedarian Mathis are too good. You're going to have to step up this weekend if you play on that interior of the Ole Miss offensive line. Now, the matchup to watch was tough because you could go one of multiple ways, in my opinion. For me, though, the Ole Miss wide receivers against this Alabama secondary is going to have to be the matchup of the week because it's strength versus strength. It's that electric passing game for Ole Miss against a 
a defensive backfield that is littered with future NFL talent that has done a great job of making teams one-dimensional and forcing turnovers through the air. Now, the offense relies on Matt Corral making plays through the air, and it has to start with these wide receivers creating separation and making plays down the field because, like I said, you cannot become one-dimensional. Dontario Drummond and Jonathan Mingo have been the top wide receivers for the Rebels thus far, and they're going to have to have their best game of the season. Drummond already has over 330 yards, four touchdowns, and grades out as one of the best wide receivers in the country thus far in the season. Mingo's got almost 300 yards receiving and three touchdowns as well. So he's going, those two guys are going to have to be playmakers and they're going to have to have big games this weekend if Ole Miss plans on pulling off the upset. Now, Braylon Sanders is someone to watch because Drummond and Mingo are going to get a lot of defensive looks their way. So can Sanders be ready to step up and make plays while Ely and Parrish out the backfield are also going to have to be receiving threats? The Alabama secondary has only allowed 167 yards per game through the air this season, per per game. And their best players are in that secondary. And they've been opportunistic. They've forced over, uh, you know, an interception, like 1.5 interceptions per game on average this season. And they have the athletes in the back end where if they get a pick, they have the athletic ability to take it to the house and get a huge touchdown or get great field position for their offense. So that's going to be something to watch. Now, it all starts with Josh Job and Jordan Battle, both of which have an argument for the best player at their position in the country, especially Jordan Battle at safety, man. This kid is electric. But my X factor, man, and I, every t- I mention this kid every time I cover Alabama, Malachi Moore, I think, has the potential as he continues to mature and develop to be the best defensive back in the country. He is just uh, – he's like a he, – he's like a – a a jack of all trades on the back end. And for me, I think he's the best playmaker on the back end and one of the best ball hawking, you know, kind of nickel guys in the country right now, especially even just as a true sophomore. So watch out for Malachi Moore. And for this matchup, the Ole Miss wide receivers have to find ways to give Corral Hopperson in his throws while also finding ways to make explosive plays happen, which is really going to break this game open for the Rebels. But the Alabama DBs are are going to be looking to force turnovers and limit explosive plays, which really plagued them in this matchup last year. They just let too many explosive plays go by, uh, especially early in that game. Now, for my official prediction, man, I, I know a lot of people are very, very high on Ole Miss this year, and I think it's a very talented team. I just am of the mindset right now, just based on every all the film I've watched, you know, looking at the athletes that they have in that secondary for Alabama. I think Matt Corral has his first turnovers this weekend. I think he probably throws a pick or two, and I think that's the difference in the game. I think this game is very similar early to last year's game, where it's a back-and-forth score fest early. But just in the fourth quarter, I think Ole Miss makes one or two mistakes that allows Alabama to pull away late. And if this game was in Oxford, it probably is a completely different story. But going into Bryant-Denny, I just don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to pull it off this year. I think Lane Kiffin is one or two recruiting classes away from really having a contender. And right now, I think Nick Saban is going to be more motivated than ever based off of last year's game to make a statement this weekend. So I have the Alabama Crimson Tide 48, the Ole Miss Rebels 35. So I, I got them I got them winning by – 
double digits, man, 13 points, which isn't necessarily covering the spread, which might shift as we get closer to game time. But I got the Crimson Tide 48, the Rebels 35 this weekend in Tuscaloosa. Guys, if you're getting it off with the game of the week, man, we got the number two Georgia Bulldogs hosting the number eight ranked Arkansas Razorbacks in Athens between the hedges, 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff live on ESPN. And right now the Bulldogs are an 18-and-a-half-point favorite as I'm recording. I'm sure that could shift a little bit as we get to the uh, later latter part of this week. It's a gigantic matchup. It's college game day. It's the biggest SEC game in the season thus far, the first top-10 matchup of the season in the SEC. And for me, even though this spread is almost three touchdowns, this is going to have a long-lasting impact on the SEC championship race moving forward. So that's something to look out for. Also, man, so since this is our game of the week, I need y'all to smash the subscribe button and like the video and comment your score predictions below. If you pick the winner and the score perfectly, you know, hit it right on the head, you can win our $50 game of the week game of the week giveaway. So make sure to like the video, subscribe, and comment your score below. That way you can win that $50 if you predict the winner and the score correct this weekend. But let's get right into it, man. Some of the storylines this weekend. Let's start with the Bulldogs. 4-0. They come in, I guess, widely viewed as the number one threat to Alabama for the college football national title this season. And they have been absolutely running through their schedule these past few weeks. I mean, as much as Vandy has been atrocious recently, they they had they held them to under like 70 total yards and four first downs. It was it was an absolute domination. They embarrassed South Carolina. They did it to UAB and now that Clemson went they they got the win over Clemson week 1. So they've been running through this their whole schedule thus far. And they're doing it in dominant fashion, man. 42 points per game averaged by this offense while they're only allowing five points per game for the season, which is an outrageous mark. Kirby Smart has arguably his most talented team. They're starting to get a bit healthy. Tyke Smith should be back this weekend, maybe even Darnell Washington, and they're slowly getting back. Pickens is already rumored to return late in November, maybe even early December. So we'll see what happens with that. But they're slowly getting healthy and they're handling their business. And now they get to make another huge statement looking for their second top 10 win of the season. Now for the Razorbacks, man, talk about the ultimate Cinderella team, Cinderella story in college football this season, finding themselves in the top 10 guys. If I would have told you, in August, as we were doing our preseason talk, that Arkansas would be in the top 10 in the country by the end of September. You probably would have absolutely unsubscribed and never listened to our podcast again, our show again. They are in the top 10 right now. They have a huge, they, they have their toughest matchup of the season thus far, and they're looking for their third top 15 win as they've already notched wins over Texas and Texas A&M. And this team has used an old-school smash-mouth approach to overwhelm their opponents thus far this season. And, of course, a big storyline is Sam Pittman heading back to Athens between the hedges to take on his old team where he was hired away by Arkansas for this head coaching job as he was the offensive line coach for the Bulldogs before uh, Matt Luke took over after him. And he's looking to make a huge statement this weekend. And for me, guys – 
I was talking to, you know, a, a, one of my friends uh, today about it. If Arkansas wins this game, what, they could possibly be the number two ranked team in the country come Sunday night. That That is unheard of. They'll at least be top three. So, I mean, you're talking about everything on the line here for the Razorbacks. Now, looking at the series, the Bulldogs are on a two-game win streak in this series, but – the Razorbacks did win the last matchup back in Athens in 2010, and the Bulldogs lead the overall series 11-4 to thus far. But let's get into our keys for the game, man. Let's start with Georgia, and it's easy for me. It's to keep this offense as balanced as it has been all season. Keep this Razorbacks defense on their heels. Do not allow yourself to become one-dimensional because that will play directly in to Arkansas's game plan, especially if, if there's one thing you probably have to do and that is run the ball. If they can shut down the rushing attack and put it all on JT Daniels and these wide receivers, this game's going to get extremely interesting because looking at these keys, the first thing you have to do is establish the rushing attack because Arkansas is such a run-dominant team. You cannot allow them to control the pace of this game and limit your offensive possessions to only a handful. And on top of that, wear down your defense throughout the game because when it gets late in the game, you're going to want to have some fresh bodies on the field, and Georgia cannot allow Arkansas to dominate the time of possession and dominate the run game. So they're going to have to try to establish their own pace and you know, kind of match that, sm- that smash-mouth pace. If Arkansas is going to come out and try to hit you in the mouth, Georgia needs to do it quicker and better than Arkansas early in this game, especially being at home. You know, I feel like Arkansas got a huge break with this game being at 11 a.m., but I've been, I've been to Georgia for a, a multiple games. That that crowd is still going to show up even at 11 a.m., don't don't let it fool you that you think that stadium is not going to be full. This is a top ten matchup, and listen, I've been to uh, Sanford Stadium. That that place is going to be packed out, so don't worry about that. But the rushing attack really ha- it could be a three headed monster this weekend for the Bulldogs, and this is going to be the toughest test for this Arkansas front seven, which has played pretty well over the first four games of the season, but the Bulldogs must keep the pressure on them. You look at Zamir White, you look at Kendall Milton, James Cook, all of them over 100 yards rushing, all of them over five yards per carry, and four rushing touchdowns between the three of them. They have to be dynamic, and what I want to see is this offense keep fresh bodies in the game and just slowly chip away at the depth of Arkansas because I don't think Arkansas can match the depth that Georgia has on defense. So if they can win the time of possession battle, it is a huge checkmark advantage Georgia if they can establish this run game. The key, though, is to stick to the game plan. Even if you don't establish, the, you know, necessarily establish it early and you're only getting marginal yards here or there, stick with it. What you can't do is not have early success and just abandon the run com- completely and put the entire game on JT Daniels. Aim to take the pressure off of Daniels, which which really and truly, as we've seen this season, allows the offense to open up and allows the Bulldogs and Daniels to take those deep shots against the back end of this Razorbacks defense, which leads me to the key in terms of this balance key for Georgia is JT Daniels is huge for this game. It's going to be a huge test for this passing attack. And honestly, they're going to be the biggest threat I think that Arkansas has seen this season. And this matchup is going to be huge in determining who will win this weekend. 
Daniels had an, has had an outstanding season. He's shown why he was one of the most highly touted transfers out of USC, completed over 76% of his passes, almost 600 yards passing, five touchdowns, two interceptions, and that's in only three games of action as he set out the UAB game due to injury. But Daniels, the number one thing is Daniels has to avoid turnovers, stay efficient, and he's got to try to test the back end of this Razorbacks defense. You you might not, you might not have major success, but you at least have to make an option and get them to worry about how they're going to stop you on the back end. And, and especially the deep threats, Mitchell and all those guys have to be a factor that deep down the field. You cannot try to just keep throwing short because Arkansas's defense, as crazy as it sounds, is too good for that. Now, with the rushing attack going, it's going to open up the offense because off a of play action, Daniels has been huge with over 74% of his passes being completed, almost 300 yards. Two of his touchdowns came off a of play action, and his highest uh, uh, passing grade by pro football focus comes off the play action compared to any other passing concept. So he can absolutely make something happen deep down the field if Arkansas has to load the box to stop the running game. Now, the Razorbacks' defense, the key, the, the, what they've done over the first few weeks is, a st- is really establishing their will, winning the line of scrimmage, and also just hitting the offense in the mouth and keeping them off balance. The Bulldogs cannot allow that to happen. If they can keep the balance in their offense and hit the Razorbacks before they can establish their momentum, that's the key to victory. Get this crowd into it early. Get Arkansas feeling uncomfortable in the moment. And that's how Georgia's going to win this game. Now, moving to the Razorbacks, it's obvious. I think anyone tuning into this preview knew exactly what the key is for Arkansas. They have to run the ball. Now, that's easier said than done because of this Georgia defense. But there's you can't just change up your whole identity. Running the football down everyone's throat, playing smash mouth football has gotten you to this point. Continue that. Impose your will on this Georgia defense. And that's, that's your key to victory. It, it, it is. And luckily, K.J. Jefferson is going to be available this weekend after a minor knee injury kept him out of the late second half against A&M. And also, not really relevant to the run game, but Traylon Burks, a wide receiver, is also going to be available, according to Sam Pittman today at his press conference. Now, this team, same as Georgia, uses a committee approach to the running back position, and they're also going to look to keep fresh bodies in the game which is going to be important because this front seven for Georgia has some elite depth. They have playmakers at every position, and so you're going to have to try to keep fresh bodies to try to wear them down. They're only allowing 66 yards on the ground per game. That cannot happen for Arkansas. You've got to run for 150, 200 yards on this Georgia defense if you really honestly want a chance to win this game, and you cannot allow – what happened to Clemson to happen to you? If they hold you to like, I mean, two yard rushing is a little ridiculous, but if they hold you under 100 yards rushing. Arkansas is going to get the doors blown off this weekend. It all starts with uh, with with Traylon Smith, almost 300 yards rushing, three rushing touchdowns, and then Raheem Sanders and Dominique Johnson are the rotational guys. Both of those guys are are doing great work in their limited action. Sanders averaging almost five and a half yards per carry and Johnson averaging a whopping seven yards per carry and three touchdowns in his limited in, in his limited action. So they have to establish a good rhythm, a good rotation 
and take advantage of this Georgia defense. They're going to have to be versatile in where they attack this Georgia defense. You can't be predictable, so you're going to have to establish to run up the middle, off the tackle, in the B gaps, on the outside. And also, being able to get your playmakers in space is very, very important. So I expect to see some very creative play calling in terms of what Bryles does with this offense. Now, the number one factor in the rushing attack, let's just be honest, is going to be K.J. Jefferson. His ability to make plays outside the pocket puts stress on the defense because they have to stay disciplined in the open field. He's big, he's athletic, and he can go make plays in opportune moments. When you look at him, he's averaging almost seven yards per carry, two touchdowns, and 230 yards rushing. Now, a lot of his yards uh, his yards come from scrambles. He's averaging like eight yards per carry on the quarterback scrambles. But they, they've actually done a very good job running up the middle with him, in which he's averaging 13 yards per carry up the A-gap on design runs. Georgia cannot let that happen. Georgia has to establish the inside of this line of scrimmage because if you allow him to average almost 13 yards per carry up the middle – Arkansas is going to be able to put up points because that is just a disaster because once you start loading the middle, uh, Smith and those running backs are going to find room on the outside, and then you're going to be in real trouble. So locking up Jefferson is going to be of the most importance, and I'll talk about you know how they can do that in just a minute when we get, up, when we get to our matchups. But the offensive line for Arkansas, the last point here, has got to have their best game of the season. They have not seen a defensive line this talented over their first four games. They've played really well, though. Only three sacks allowed, 16 hurries, and 24 pressures over the first four games. The offensive line must win the line of scrimmage battle Saturday. And if they don't, I think we can see a repeat of the Clemson game where Georgia absolutely shuts down this offense. They're going to have to win the line of scrimmage. I know Georgia has a lot of talent on the front of that on the front end of that defense, but Arkansas relies on this run game. If the offensive line doesn't show up, the Razorbacks are in for a long day. Now, the matchup to watch for me is K.J. Jefferson and these running backs against this Georgia linebacking core. And it honestly might be the strength of the defense, but this matchup is going to determine whether the Razorbacks are going to have a real shot to escape Athens with a huge upset win. The Razorbacks are currently averaging over 260 yards per game and averaging almost six yards per carry for the entire team over the entire season with 11 rushing touchdowns. This is important because the three things I need to look for, if these three things happen, I think Arkansas could win this game. They have to win the time of possession battle. They have to avoid third and longs, and they cannot have any turnovers. Those are the top things to have happen for Arkansas if they want to escape Athens with the win because the time of possession battle, one, wears down this Georgia defense and keeps your defense fresh on the other side to make plays late. Of third and longs is where Georgia's going to eat you alive. They're going to bring the blitz. Their secondary is good enough on the back end to make plays, and you're going to put yourself in ridiculous situations and situations where that stadium's going to be going berserk and you're not going to be able to succeed because if you keep yourself in third and twos, you can play to your strength and run the ball and be creative. Third and 15s, you're going to be in trouble against this Georgia defense. Now, the turnover battle, Georgia's too good, and and this game is too important to lose the turnover battle. If you can play a clean game, 
you're going to have at least a shot this weekend to pull off a huge upset in Athens. Now, they have the, the number one thing there is they have to try to wear down this front seven because if they let Georgia get some quick three and outs, it's going to be a long day for the Razorbacks. Now, on the flip side, the Bulldogs got no no pun intended, got some have some absolute studs, dogs on in those in those linebacker spots. Those guys are going to be tasked with slowing down one of the best rushing attacks in the country. While also the number one thing I picked this matchup is these are the guys that are that are going to have to stop Jefferson from making plays outside the pocket, and they're going to have to get pressure on them. Nicobe Dean, Channing Tindall, both of which 33 tackles, three and a half sacks. They have to show all of their athleticism. Their play recognition has to be on point, and just their overall playmaking ability this weekend is going to have to be there because, for me, they have not seen a quarterback that brings the type of skill set that Jefferson does this weekend. And also the edge guys, Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson, have to have major, major games this weekend. They got to get pressure off the edge in passing situations. They have to make it, they have to try to make Arkansas one dimensional and then get up after, get, get up the field and get after the quarterback. They've already combined for six sacks over the first few weeks of the season. Nolan Smith is the second highest graded uh, pass rusher on this team, right behind the Kobe Dean, who has been an absolute phenom on the blitz and he has been outstanding. Now, for this matchup, if Jefferson and these running backs are able to get loose and establish the rushing attack, then this game gets real interesting in Athens. But if Dean and these linebackers slow this run game, get after Jefferson, and force Arkansas out of their comfort zone, I think this game could get out of hand. So given all that, you know, looking at this matchup, 11 a.m. really helps Arkansas. And really and truly, guys, I think this is the toughest test Georgia's had this season. I understand they played Clemson week one, but looking right now, I think Arkansas is a better team overall than Clemson is right this second. Say what you want about recruiting rankings, all that stuff. As a team executing, Arkansas is a better matchup for against Georgia than Clemson was as of right now. I think their offense is much better than what Clemson saw. I think their defense is extremely underrated. But overall, as a team, I think Arkansas is a bigger test right now for Georgia than even Clemson was. But for me, I trust JT Daniels to make the clutch throws just a little bit more than Jefferson. And I really like this Georgia defense. I have said in in multiple episodes, I think this is the best front seven in the country. I think they forced just one or two turnovers for the Razorbacks to really kind of get this game out of hand late. I do feel like Arkansas is going to keep it closer than people think. The 18-and-a-half-point spread is really it – is, that's a lot of points, man. That is a lot of points. I don't think they necessarily cover that. So, for me, I'm going to go with Georgia winning this game 30-17 to 17 over the Razorbacks. So, it, it's a it's a solid win. 13-point win for the Bulldogs in Athens. I think the early game really helps Arkansas keep it close. But for me, I just think Georgia's too good right now. And right now, just in my opinion, I think Georgia might be playing some of the best football in the country. I still think Arkansas is a legit team. I still think they possibly could be the second-best team in the SEC West. It's just right now, with the game being in Athens, with the way this Georgia defense is playing, with the way the offense is developing, I just think Georgia has too much depth and firepower 
for the Razorbacks this weekend. As much as I love this story, I picked the Razorbacks last week over A&M, but I just can't ride with them this week. I have the Bulldogs 30, Razorbacks 17 this weekend in Athens. And guys, if you made it this far, hit the subscribe button, smash the like button on that video, and comment your score prediction below. If you pick the correct team and score, you win our $50 Game of the Week giveaway right here on the Blue Bloods. Shout out to y'all for supporting. We'll have a for right now on the Blue Bloods. We are out.